Well, let's take the Word of God this evening, and if you turn with me to the book of uh, Psalms, the book of Psalms, and we'll be in uh, Psalm 6 this evening. Uh, we have uh, covered the first uh, five Psalms, and now we're going to find ourselves in uh, Psalm 6. Before we begin reading, uh, the book of uh, Psalms is a very interesting book in that it um, reveals a lot of the, the emotions and the thoughts of uh, many of them were uh, penned by David. And no doubt we understand that many of them have a, a messianic nature to them. Uh, but at the same time, they're very helpful because uh, we are in good company. Have you ever had a discouraging thought? Have you ever been discouraged uh, about your life? Have you ever been discouraged about the world? Have you ever been discouraged about your own condition? And uh, I think it's helpful to know that we're not the only ones. Um, and certainly I do believe that David was called a man after God's own heart in part because of all that he wrote and because of his honesty before God. It's not that David was without fault or without sin. It's that uh, David knew how to express himself before God. And in the sense, I think we are taught here in the book of Psalms how to express ourselves before God. And so we're going to read here uh, Psalm 6, and we're going to read, there's just 10 verses here, uh, but no doubt they're very impactful. And so let's stand together, Psalm 6, and we're going to read all 10 verses. <clears throat> Psalm 6, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief and waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping, the Lord hath heard my supplication, the Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. I want to bring your attention here to verse 4. If we're thinking about, all right, there's a lot that is said in the psalm, but what is really the psalmist asking for? And we find the answer in verse 4 with the words, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. And so I'd like to preach a little while on this, on this verse in the context here. Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Now let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this evening for the opportunity to study your word. And Lord, I pray that um, 
The spirit that we find in this psalm would be the same spirit that you would find in us when that spirit is needed in us. And so, Lord, give us understanding. Help us to discern the truths that are contained in this psalm. Help us to understand uh, the main uh, thought, the important thought that is being communicated in this psalm. Help us to leave uh, this, this evening's meeting having been encouraged, exhorted, and challenged by your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at Psalm 6, we can really uh, break down the psalm into three main parts. And again, this is not uh, inspiration. This is my uh, study or examination of this psalm as we think about the structure and how the psalmist progresses in this psalm. I could even say four parts because I think the last verse uh, to me stands alone and you'll see that uh, later on. And this is the uh, the psalmist's last request in the last verse. And so, uh, but let me give you the structure of this psalm. We first see that the psalmist here, he expresses his plight. In other words, we could say in the first three verses, he expresses the anguish of his soul. And then in verse uh, verses 4 through 7, we see his plea in that his plea is for the return of the Lord. And we'll talk about why he is asking for the return of the Lord. We know that the Lord is everywhere present, and so in a sense, there is uh, nowhere we can go that the presence of God is not. So why is the psalmist asking for the Lord's return? And so that's his plea. And then lastly, we're going to look at his praise. And so his plight, his plea, his praise, and uh, we could conclude in verse 10 with his prayer, not for himself, but for others at the end. But let's consider, first of all, as we look at this psalm, let's consider, first of all, his plight, where the psalmist here, basically, in this prayer, he describes the anguish of his soul. Uh, we have, uh, really, the psalm is a, a psalm of sorrow, where the psalmist expresses his grief, his uh, sorrow, his tears. If you notice again, if you go with me to verse 6, uh, we find that clearly when he says, I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Now, that's a pretty vivid description of a man who is in deep sorrow, who is grieving. Now, we may not know yet, since I haven't explained it, we don't know what the grieving or the groaning is, but the point is it seems to be pretty severe. In verse uh, 7, he says, Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It, uh, the eye, waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Basically saying, I'm aging because of uh, the sorrow that I'm experiencing. And so in the first three verses here, he describes his plight and the anguish of his soul. And I want you to know what he does here in verse 1 through 3. He begins by, first of all, acknowledging, in the first verse, acknowledging that he has provoked the anger and the displeasure of the Lord. Notice verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. So the psalmist here begins... Uh, his plight by acknowledging 
that he has been provo- that he has provoked the anger and the displeasure of the Lord. He says, "Rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure." Now it's interesting here that the psalmist, when we examine verse one, he, he's not asking that he not be rebuked and that he not be chastened. He is asking here that he not be rebuked in anger and that he not be chastened in God's displeasure. In other words, what the psalmist does not want to happen is he he does not want the anger and the displeasure of the Lord to be prolonged towards him. I think that what he is acknowledging is that he is uh, the just recipient of the God's rebuke. He is the just recipient of God's chastening, but he, what he doesn't want to be prolonged is the anger and the displeasure of the Lord. Uh, if we think about that, I think about the verse in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 10, verse 24, where, the, where uh, Jeremiah says, and by the way, Jeremiah, it's interesting that Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. We have the book of Lamentations, which is the weeping of the prophet, But Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 24 says this, O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. I want us to think here about the idea here of what the psalmist is saying back in Psalm 6. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thine hot displeasure. There is a sense when we think about rebuke and chastening, We tend to think of the consequences, but here he says that the rebuke is in anger and the chastening is in God's hot displeasure. Now when we couple that with the second verse, what is he asking for? He says, have mercy upon me. In other words, he's saying I am okay with the rebuke and I am okay with the chastening because it's brought me to the place where I'm appealing to the mercy of God But what I don't want to see is the anger and the displeasure of God continuing. In other words, the psalmist, by acknowledging that he has provoked the Lord to anger and to displeasure, he wants God not to be angry and not to be displeased with him. The psalmist is interested not in angering the Lord, but in pleasing the Lord. And so we ask ourselves this question, is that what we are interested in? Are we interested in in pleasing the Lord and not angering the Lord? That's the heart of this psalm, the, the, the psalmist. We not only see here that he acknowledges that he has provoked the anger and the displeasure of the Lord, but notice in verse 2, we see that he recognizes that his sinfulness has placed him in a troubled state, both physically and spiritually. Notice verse 2. He says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. For I am weak, O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. So notice here, when he says, have mercy upon me, he is saying, have mercy upon me for what? Because God has rebuked him, and God has chastened him. Therefore, he is appealing to the mercy of God, and he is recognizing here, that because he has provoked the anger and the displeasure of the Lord, wherefore God has rebuked him and chastened him, he is saying here that I am a troubled state, both physically and spiritually, because of my sinfulness. And 
I think that as believers, we have to recognize in times that we may become both physically weak and spiritually weak because we have displeased and angered the Lord. You know, much of the trouble in the world and in our lives should not just be attributed to the physical realm. There is a spiritual realm to life. And uh, that spiritual realm has an impact on not just the soul, but also the physical state of man. That's why uh, we could think about the proverb that says that uh, merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And much of today's depression can be attributed to the spiritual woes of mankind. Um, and everybody knows in the medical field, even in psychiatry, that those who are in a depressive state are damaged physically because of that. It has a physical aspect. And so here he recognizes that his sinfulness has placed him in a troubled state, both physically and spiritually. Uh, notice he's asking for God's mercy and God's healing. Uh, now the word mercy, it's interesting. So when the psalmist says, have mercy upon me, the word mercy literally means to bend. So he is asking God, the idea is, I've angered the Lord, I've displeased the Lord, therefore the Lord has turned His face away from me, and I am appealing to God's mercy. I want God to bend down towards me. I want God to be merciful to me. The idea of mercy is, I want God to stoop in kindness toward me. Now the idea of mercy is the idea that I don't deserve that, but nonetheless, I am asking for it. Now, sometimes we may know that we don't deserve the mercy of God, but not asking for it is not the right thing to do. Uh, God delights to hear in our voice. He delights in the prayer of the righteous. And I believe God delights when uh, sinners ask for mercy because God's mercy are new every morning. He not only says here, uh, have mercy upon me, but he also says, notice, heal me. The word heal means basically to mend, to cure, to make whole. Um, and so he's asking for the Lord's mercy and for the Lord's healing upon him. Uh, notice the rebuke and the chastening, according to verse 1, has caused him to be weak and to be vexed. Now, the word weak here basically means I've become sick as a result. And the word vexed means basically the word has the idea of, of trembling inwardly. Someone who, who trembles, someone who is troubled, uh, someone who is alarmed, someone who is agitated inwardly. And so there's both the physical aspect where he wants to be healed because he is weak, but also he wants to be restored. Why? Because he has been troubled, he has been agitated inwardly. In uh, uh, Psalm, we could think about Psalm 38 verse 3 where the Bible says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. And so the psalmist here would uh, acknowledge time and time again uh, that when God's, when he senses the anger of God towards him and his sin, that he loses the soundness, the wholesomeness of his flesh, and the rest in his bones. That means he is troubled. Why? Because of the anger of the Lord. 
And so we see here that, first of all, he acknowledges that he's provoked the Lord to anger and to and the displeasure of the Lord, but also he has recognized that his sinfulness has placed him in a troubled state, both physically and spiritually. But notice with me, verse 3, what we find here is that he attributes his prolonged troubled condition to the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. When I'm said here, he attributes his prolonged troubled condition to the Lord. Not that it is the Lord's fault, but that the Lord has done something to him because it's his fault. Notice verse 3. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? So in the first verse he says, look, I've provoked the Lord to anger and to be displeased with me. The result of that is that I've been vexed both in my uh, spirit and in my bones. And so I have been affected spiritually and physically for that. And it's been prolonged. And the reason that it's been prolonged is because of the Lord. Because the Lord has um, been displeased and angered by me. And so here is, understand here, again, this is the, the yearning of the psalmist who knows that he has offended God, who's appealing to the mercy of God, and who wants to be healed. And basically he says that he doesn't want this to be a prolonged state. He wants it to end. Do you remember what the psalmist says, uh, David said in Psalm 51, verse 8, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. So here, understand, he says there that I am vexed. Heal me because my bones are, are vexed. My, my soul is vexed. Lord, how long? You have, uh, you, you have broken my bones and how long is that going to continue? How long will I continue in this awful condition? How long is my soul going to continue without finding the peace that I am so passionately longing for? How long? Now, by the way, I think we, we all know that that is the plight of often believers who can find themselves who are in disobedience, who have angered and displeased the Lord. Uh, that they have been vexed both physically and uh, spiritually. Their soul has been vexed. Their bones have been vexed. Why? Because they've remained in that state of displeasure uh, where they have not asked for God's healing and God's mercy. We could also say that in the condition of the world that that's where the world is. That the world, uh, often they, uh, the Bible says in the book of Romans that uh, they not only know that God is not pleased with them, but they have pleasure in doing wickedness. And uh, the condition that they're in is their own doing. But the problem is that they have not asked for healing and they have not asked for mercy. But here, the psalmist has asked for healing. He has asked for mercy. And so therefore, he does not want to have this troubled condition persist and be prolonged. What I'm saying here is that the psalmist is so disturbed with himself that he doesn't want to keep living that way. 
And so I think that there should be times in our lives. I'm not saying that that is our permanent state, but I do think that there are times in our lives where we should be disturbed with ourselves. That whatever condition we are in, we should say, I don't want this to be prolonged. How long, Lord, am I going to remain in this broken state? Again, not because of God, but because of my sin. And so we see his plight, the anguish of his soul. But then secondly, we see his plea. His plea is very simple. Notice verse 4. Return, O Lord. Return, O Lord. As far as we can look at this psalm, it seems that that is the, the main thrust of Psalm 6. He has described his plight, his condition, where he is. Uh, the anguish and the sorrow of his soul, he doesn't want it to continue, and therefore he has one thing to ask of the Lord, and that is, return, O Lord. Notice, return, O Lord, deliver my soul, O save me for thy mercy's sake. I want to make note of several things from verse 4 through verse 7 as we consider his plea the main thrust of his plea is for the return of the Lord. We notice first of all in verse 4 that he realizes that his troubled condition is directly related to the departure of the Lord. Do you notice that? He realizes that his troubled condition is directly related to the departure of the Lord. If he's asking here, return, O Lord... When he says, deliver my soul. Well, what soul? What has the soul been described as? His soul has been described as vexed. Why? Because he's angered and he's displeased the Lord. He's appealed to the mercy of God. And therefore he says, return, O Lord, deliver my soul. You see, the request for a return from the Lord indicates that there has been a departure from the Lord. So the absence of God was the main cause of his misery. Therefore, his return, this is what it means, that the return of God would be sufficient to deliver him from his troubled state. Now, why would he say that? I think we all understand that we believe that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere present. Psalm 139 makes it clear that there is nowhere where we can go, that God's presence is not there if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So we know that wherever we go, that the presence of God is. But what are we interested in here is we're talking really about the psalmist not just knowing that God is omnipresent, but sensing and knowing that God is near him because he knows that he has angered and he has uh, displeased the Lord and therefore he is in a troubled state, and he knows that the reason why he is in a troubled state is because he has not lived a life near to God. In a sense, what I'm saying to you when he says, Lord, return, O Lord, is he knows that God has always been there, but he himself has walked away from God and has lived a life away from God. So he realizes that his troubled condition is directly related to his departure of the Lord. We talk at length about living in the presence of God. That as believer, that's, that's how we should live. In The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, live in the fear of the Lord all the day long. 
Well, what is that? Well, living, uh, living with uh, the, the consciousness that God is with us. And when there's anything that offends Him, we, we, we uh, ask for the mercy and the forgiveness of God and God grants it to us. And so when we are troubled, we have to attribute that, yes, to our sin, but understand to the fact that God has departed from us and His favor is no longer on us and that's why we are in a troubled condition. And so he realizes that his trouble is, his troubled condition is directly related to the departure of the Lord. But then notice in verse 4 still, he, he appeals to the mercy of God, knowing that he cannot appeal to his own merit. He says this, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Here it is. Oh, save me because I am worthy. No. Oh, save me because I love thee. That's not what he says. He says, Oh, save me for thy mercy's sake. You see, the psalmist knows full well that he cannot appeal to God on his own merit. So he has to completely cast himself on the mercy of God. He said, I I don't deserve uh, your displeasure to be turned to pleasure. I I don't deserve your uh, your anger against me to cease. I I know I don't deserve that. Therefore, I appeal to your mercy because I am completely uh, and utterly unworthy of that. And so, I read this statement, when you plead for the mercy of God... Urge not your goodness or your greatness, but plead your sin and your littleness. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we might pray, and we might sound pretty good to ourselves when we pray. Right? Like the Pharisee. Well, God, I thank you that I'm not like this person at all. I thank you that I have a pretty good life. I thank you that I've done pretty well in this life. No, there is no self-merit We should not be talking about our goodness or our greatness, but about our sin and our littleness. And so he appeals to the mercy of God, knowing that he cannot appeal to his own merit. But then notice in verse 5, he says something interesting. He, He asks the question, he says, For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? Now remember the question he asked in verse 3. Lord, how long? I, I don't want this to keep going. I don't want to be vexed in soul and in my bones. I want to be restored. I want to be healed. I want to have your mercy and your favor upon me once again. And here he says in verse 5, For in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave who shall give thee thanks. What is he saying? Well, think about it this way. The psalmist knows he only has one life to live. And he knows this one thing, that he does not want to live the rest of his life in his present troubled state. He doesn't want to die in that state. Where his soul is vexed and where his uh, bones are vexed, he wants to be healed. He wants uh, uh, to, to have mercy extended towards him. And here he gives, if you would, a reason to God where he he desires for the Lord's return. 
while he still has breath to praise God. That's what he is saying. God, I want your healing. I want your restoration because in death, there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? I'm not going to have that opportunity. You see, death, yes, will put all things in perspective, but it will be too late at that point to serve you and to live for you in this life. You see, mankind is designed to glorify God on the earth. The end for which he has been born cannot be accomplished in the grave. You see, a dead body in the grave can do no good to men, nor bring any glory to his name. The psalmist wants that restoration. He wants that healing in this life. That's why he asks the question, How long, Lord? I don't want this to continue. I don't want this to be my present condition. Because I know that when I reach the grave, there will be no remembrance of thee. That in the grave, who will praise and give thanks to thee? And so he desires for the Lord's return while he still has the breath to praise the Lord. That's the concern of the psalmist. If we're not careful as Christians, we might get the mentality, well, I'm saved, all that matters, I'm going to heaven and everything will be right and when I get there, I'll be perfect. You know, the desire of the Christian ought to be, I I want to praise God's name today. Not when I reach the grave and I'm not able to do that. But lastly, we see that he describes, in verse 6 and 7, he describes the complete exhaustion of his life that has been removed from the Lord. Notice verse 6. Why does he want this not to be prolonged? Why does he want healing and restoration now? Notice, I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine Enemies. I want you to know now, we could look at many of those words, but the word weary here means basically to gasp, to be exhausted, to faint. And so, he basically says, as the life that I've lived away from God has been an exhausting life. That life away from God has brought me to the end of myself. Where I got to the place where I just don't, I don't think I can move on without God. Because life away from God has taken a, a deep and a severe toll on my life. Now again, not, not because of God, but because of His own sin. So we could say here that the psalmist comes to the end of himself. He says, I am tired of my life without God. Now, obviously, the psalmist knew God because he appeals to God's mercy and know that God is a merciful God. This is not a man who is ignorant of God. This is a man who knows God, but who's learned to live at some point in his life it's for some uh, measure of time with the Lord's anger and displeasure on his life. And he's tired of that. So we see his, pl- his plight. We see his plea. But lastly, we see his praise. Now I want you to notice here. So in verse 8 through 10. 
says, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. I, I want us to think here for just a moment. Could you, do you notice at the beginning of the psalm the, the brokenness? The state of trouble that the psalmist is in. And then the words change to in verse 8 where he says, The Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Verse 9, The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Think about those words. It seems that at the beginning of the psalm, he's, he's distressed. He, 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 he doesn't want to for, for God to be angered and to be displeased with him. He, he's asking, he's begging for the mercy of God. He knows that the troubled condition he's in, he doesn't want to live that way anymore. And so he's asking for God to return. And it seems that the psalm is all in uncertainty. And, and I think that there's a spirit that we have to have here that... Uh, we, we never have to have the attitude when we come to God, when we have sin in our lives, and we seek to make those sins right with God, and we, we should never have that attitude, well, I'm going to come to God because, you know, God loves to hear from me, and because God will always forgive my sin, and have really a, a light attitude about our sin. That's not what the psalmist has here. He is broken. He appeals to the mercy of God. He doesn't want to continue that way. He doesn't want to live away from the presence of God. And he doesn't have a sense of entitlement because he knows God. But as soon as he said what he needs to say, then he says, God, you've heard. God has heard me. The Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. You see, that doesn't come till after he has sought to make, th make things right. You see, there appears to be confidence at the end, not brokenness. But the confidence only comes after the brokenness. Confidence is not in the brokenness. It's the result of brokenness. So he rejoices in the Lord's... Notice, and he says, it's interesting, so the wording, he says, The Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. I want you to think, why would he, why would he say, the Lord hath heard my, the voice of my weeping? Well, it's an interesting expression, the voice of my weeping. Does weeping have a voice? Well, I mean, not in the literal sense, but it does to God. Let me, let me say that again. Weeping, in the literal sense, does not have a voice, but it does to God. Why? Because it reflects on the spirit of the psalmist. Here he says, Lord... The Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. What he is saying here is God has seen my heart. He has seen my brokenness. He knows that God, as he says in Psalm 51, Thou desirest not sacrifice, outs would I give it. But a broken and a contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. And so he says, You know my heart. And by the way, God... 
the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. You see, a pardon, and so when we attach that to the first part, it says, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. I was broken over my sin. I was tired to live with the presence of God having departed from me. I was tired to have the anger and the displeasure of God upon me. And so he says, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. I don't want to associate with sin anymore. You see, a pardoned sinner will hate the sins which cost the Savior's blood. Grace and sin are, as uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, he says, grace and sin are quarrelsome neighbors. They don't get along. So he says, depart from me all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. He says, the Lord hath heard my supplication. So he rejoices first in the Lord's compassion, because the Lord... Uh, By the way, throughout the Bible, the Bible says the Lord knows the sorrow of man. It's not that just God hears our words. He knows the sorrow. He understands the voice of weeping. He knows, notice, the Lord's compassion. He says he rejoices also in the Lord's gracious. And he said, the Lord hath heard my supplication. The idea of supplication is to come to God and to beg God. Knowing the idea of supplication, I don't deserve, but I beg of you. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I, I don't deserve it, but, I, but I'm begging of you. And he says, God has heard my supplication. He's talking about God's graciousness. God has been gracious. He's been merciful. He has been pitiful towards the psalmist. And so he rejoices in the Lord's graciousness. But then he also rejoices in the Lord's acceptance. Notice verse 9. The Lord hath heard my supplication, the Lord will receive my prayer. Isn't that a comfort to know? That God will receive us when there's what? Well, when there's first that brokenness, the voice of weeping, which is a reflection on the heart that is brokenhearted over having angered and displeased God. When the response of that brokenness is to come in supplication and to beg God, knowing that we don't deserve the mercy and the grace of God, but yet nonetheless appealing to it because we know the kind of God that He is. And then to be able to have the confidence or so that God will receive my prayer. Now we understand that that is because of the merit of Christ. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because in chapter 2, verse 1, He says, We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. But there's another thing that I think helps us to understand the attitude of the psalmist. Do you notice with me in verse 10, he, He ends in a peculiar way. He says, Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed, Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Now, if we're not careful, we might look at this verse as if the psalmist is saying, well, I wish all mine enemies would just, you know, uh, fall and uh, be judged and so on. That's not what he's saying. You see, this, this psalm basically closes with an invitation for all of his enemies. And this is a magnificent invitation. Notice what he says. He says, Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. So notice, first of all, he prays for them 
to become as he was. Well, how was he? Well, what was he? He was ashamed and sore vexed himself. So what is his prayers for his enemies? He's basically praying for the, his enemies to become as he was. We read the beginning of the psalm. What was he? He was ashamed. Why? Because he angered and he displeased God. Uh, how was he? Well, he says that in verse 3, My soul is sore vexed. And so here, as he ends this psalm by saying, God has heard uh, the voice of my weeping. He has heard my supplication. And he will receive my prayer. And then he prays and he says, Oh God, that my enemies would get the same. He prays for them to become as he was, ashamed and sore vexed. But then second, he prays for them, notice, to return as he did. Without delay. Notice, he says, Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Which gives us an indication into early on when he asked God, Return, O Lord. Here's the secret of the psalm. When the psalmist asked, Lord, Return, O Lord, what was he really doing? He himself was returning. He himself was returning. Remember, who was the cause of broken fellowship? It wasn't God. It was the psalmist. He is the one that angered God. He is the one that displeased God. In the sense, he is the one that departed in the first place. Uh, God gave gave, gave the wonderful promise to, to us as believers that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Uh, but we understand we can grieve, we can vex the Spirit of God because of our sin. And so we understand here that the psalmist was not that, when he says here, return, O Lord, he's not saying, well, God, it's your fault that you left. He recognizes that he has been in the wrong and he is returning to the Lord. And when he returns to the Lord, then the Lord returns to him. And so he prays for his enemies for them to return as he did. Notice again verse 10. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them all be as I was. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. He prays for them to return as he did without delay. That's the word suddenly, without delay. I wish that mine enemies would know the joy that I've experienced even though I've angered and displeased the Lord. You see, that uh, last verse is not what we think it means. Why? Because a psalmist who's angered and displeased the Lord, who has experienced the mercy, the restoration, and the forgiveness of God, is someone who wants others to experience the same. I want to turn, let's close in the book of Hosea. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hosea and we'll be done. The book of Hosea in chapter 6.
Notice Hosea chapter 6 and notice verse 1 with me. Now we know the book of Hosea, I'm not going to preach the book of Hosea, but the book of Hosea was written to Israel who had committed wardom. We have the whole um, uh, picture of um, Hosea and Gomer that God told him to take a wife of wardom and he says that's, that's Israel, that's what God did towards Israel and so on. Now I want you to notice in chapter 6 verse 1, come, here's the invitation to Israel, come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. That's exactly what Psalm 6 is talking about. God, you've rebuked me, you've chastened me because I've angered you and I've displeased you. And God, I come appealing to your mercy because I've been vexed, I've been broken, my, my bones have been vexed. Uh, and as Psalm 51 says, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And so what did the psalmist do in the sense? He says, come, let us return unto the Lord and realize that God has torn in order that he might heal us. And that God has smitten us in order that He might bind up our wounds. And so what is it that the psalmist ought to rejoice in? What is it that we should rejoice in? Well, we should rejoice in God's rebuke and chastening. Why? Because those same wounds that God has afflicted us with are the same wounds that have brought us to Him. And that He Himself has healed. And so the psalmist says, the things that I've discovered about God. My prayer is that everybody, even mine enemies, would know the same thing that I've been able to enjoy of God. So in Psalm 6, let me ask you a personal question. Has that ever been your spirit? Have you ever felt the way the psalmist felt? So, well, Pastor, I'm not sure what sin he committed. Well, I think it's purposely omitted. It's interesting, as you study the book of Psalms, we don't necessarily know what the psalmist has done or how he's offended God. We just know he has offended God. But if we're not careful, we might become selective in what we think offend God and what we think does not offend God. And so the point is, what is our spirit with ourselves? And we have to certainly look and say, if I am in a troubled state, I have to attribute it to something. What is it? Well, in this psalm, the application is, he is angered and displeased the Lord. Note, it's not always the case that God rebukes and chastens us because of sin. And so I'm not attributing all trouble to sin. We know that to be true in the, in the Bible. But in this case, in Psalm 6, it is. And so may the spirit of the psalmist be the same spirit that's found in us. And so we begin the psalm really in, in, the, in the difficult position, but we end the psalm in a wonderful position. He begins in distress and defeat. 
and he ends in joy and victory because God has brought him to a place of defeat so that God could bring him to a place of victory. Isn't that wonderful that God does that in our lives? First of all, he doesn't leave us to ourselves, which is wonderful. But then even when we go astray, when he inflicts rebuke and chastening, it is a good thing because the wounds that he inflicts is the same wounds that he wants to bind, as Hosea mentions. And so, let's, uh, let's rejoice. That's why I think Hebrews says we should delight in the chastening of the Lord.